Ezekiel chapter 20 and 21. I'm going to give it my best shot to get through these two chapters. 20 is rather long. As we get into chapter 20 through 24, that would have originally been the goal for this evening because it's a continuing thought. These are the final uh, predictions concerning the judgment of Jerusalem. There are two things to which I would like to call your attention to in this section. First, notice how long and drawn out God's message is to these people, right down to the very day that Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city. During this time, the Lord was willing. There's glimpses of hope of them if they would only return. It's repetitive over and over and over again. The Lord says, if you guys will just turn back to me, I will do for you what I did when Hezekiah prayed. And he went before the Lord, and in one night the Lord took care of it. One angel took out 185,000 of uh, the Assyrians, and he's basically saying he'll do the same thing. He can handle Nebuchadnezzar. But again, over and over and over again, we see this, the same message that Ezekiel has. The second is the very day the siege of Jerusalem began, the wife of Ezekiel died. And then God tells him not to mourn or weep for her at all. Ezekiel and Jeremiah were contemporaries. And um, Jeremiah was the soft touch. He had the soft heart. He's called the weeping prophet. Ezekiel is more stone face, so to speak. And when the Lord tells him, when this actually hits the fan, his wife dies, the Lord tells him not to weep. And yet he had to have a broken heart over it. So as, as we get into this section, this is a long chapter. It's 50 verses long. It's divided into um, really two or maybe three at the most main sections. And what's happening is this message, and I don't know the, the integrity of the elders that came to talk to Ezekiel, but we find that maybe his word was starting to get through. So verse one gives us the time. It came to pass in the seventh year, then in the fifth month, and the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me, And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord, I will not be inquired by you. So their motive for coming is not really revealed to us, except the rest of this chapter will be the Lord laying out his case of the history of their fathers, not learning from their fathers, And as a result, judgment is going to come. And he's basically saying, don't talk to me unless you first get things right with me. So what we're going to get into is basically the sins that um, Israel had gotten into. And he's going to give them their history. Verse 4, will you speak to to them, son of man? And will you judge them? Then make known to them the abomination of their fathers. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, and in the day when I chose Israel and lifted my hand in an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob. And I made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I lifted my hand as an oath to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I lifted my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into the land that I stretched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. And I'm going to come back to this verse a little bit later. Because when God did allow judgment to come, Israel, especially the southern part from Beersheba south, there's nothing there. But that wasn't always the case. 
at one time, you had lions, obviously, and bears, and the south of Israel was probably heavily forested. And we'll, there's actually a scripture that's going to mention that when we get to the side of the forest fire towards the end of this chapter. Then I said to them, Each of you throw away the abominations which are before your eyes, and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And just when I think about the, the kings, um, what is being wound up here as we get to this is there's going to be a prophecy, very important prophecy, about all the kings that have existed, and now we're coming up to the last one. And uh, it's one of the most important Old Testament scriptures that deal with the coming of the Lord, and it's um, directly related to them. But when you study the kings of the north, we find that they had not one good one. I think they had 19, and the reoccurring phrase for the, the kings of Israel in the north was they did evil in the sight of the Lord after their sins of Jeroboam their father, without exception. And so what Ezekiel is doing is he's reminding them, you guys never did it right once in the north, and you want to come and talk to me about saying I'm unfair and I'm going to judge now when you've done things worse than the descendants that were in the land before you. Verse 8, but they rebelled against me and they would not obey me. They did not at all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. As a matter of fact, what Jeroboam did, talk about the height of, of air, he makes two golden calves, sets one up in Bethel and one up in Dan. And he says, here's your God. You don't need to go down to Jerusalem to worship. You can stay here. The priests that they had weren't Levi's. They could have been of any tribe, and that was okay with Jeroboam. Well, this is what they're referring to, the gods of Egypt. That was one of the gods of Egypt, a golden calf. I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among whom they were in, in whom sight I had made myself known to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. The Egyptians knew there was a God, and it, it took the final plague before Pharaoh would soften his heart enough to let them go, and the firstborn of Egypt died. And um, that's how the Lord brought them out of the land. From the land, beginning with verse 10, he reminds them of their wilderness experience. Therefore, I made them go out of the land of Egypt, and I brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. The Bible is a book that actually can tell you how to live life. And the, and the basic law is what he's referring to here is, of course, Sinai, when the Lord appeared to Moses. And he, it's not just 10 commandments. It was 613 commands that were given on uh, the most basic things in everyday life. And what you're going to hear over and over again is the Lord's concern of charging usury, taking advantage of people, not caring for the poor. They did none of these things. And um, when you look at the commandments, half of them are about how you relate to your fellow man, and the other half are related, I think it's 6-4, uh, related to your relationship to the Lord himself. Uh, the first, I think it's the first four, the first six are directed to uh, your relationship with the Lord, and the last one, how it relates to your fellow man. Verse 11, uh, verse 12. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them, 
that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctified them. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness, and they did not walk in my statutes. They despised my commandments, which if a man does, he will live by them, and they shall be they greatly defiled my Sabbath. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. And the fact is, he did consume Korah and his, his boys who uh, were having a problem with Moses' leadership. And they said, who, who called you to be the top dog around here? He says, well, we can lead too. And Moses goes and falls before the Lord. He says, Lord, help me to do now. Korah's got a rebellion going. And he says, well... Tell Cora that uh, you want to meet him first thing in the morning. And um, so here's a multitude, maybe two million strong, having to choose if they're going to listen to God's instrument choice, which was Moses, or Cora, who was trying to get them to go back to the land that they came out of. So basically, the Lord says, draw a line and say, everybody that's with Cora, step over here. Everybody who believes that the Lord has sent me to give these commandments and statutes said, you come with me. And so there was this split that some went this way with Korah and some stayed with with Moses. And uh, Moses said, okay, if I'm a prophet of the Lord and the Lord has called me, but, but you're not, you're a false prophet, then let the earth open up right now and let that swallow you up. Immediately the earth opens up. So when it talks about here consuming them, some of them in the wilderness... This is one of the things I believe it's a reference to. And um, what a mighty miracle. Earth opens up and Jude talks about it, the rebellion of Korah. Rebellion, the Bible says, is as the sin of witchcraft. And when we have an absolute standard to live by and we have his commandments to learn how to live everyday life according to God's ways and ignore them, well... Until Jesus came and established grace, that's how men were judged. And uh, let's pick it up in verse 14. But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned among the Gentiles, in whose sight I was brought them out. <laughs> I think of Yul Brenner, his final statement about, about Moses and his God. He says, Moses' God is God. <laughs> and that's what he learned. And so I lifted my hands in an oath to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I gave them, flowing with milk and honey and the glory of the land. It takes two weeks to get from Egypt to the promised land, maybe as little as 11 days. But they wandered for 40 years, a whole generation. And everybody that saw the two faithful servants come back, Caleb and Joshua, talking about the fruitfulness of the land and the great big bounty of the grapes that they were carrying and and they wouldn't believe and because they wouldn't believe God's promise that he was going to bring them into this land every man in that generation died and none of them were allowed to go in only their children only their uh, their offspring were allowed to enter in verse 17 nevertheless my eyes spared them and I therefore my eyes spared them from destruction I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. But I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourself with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. Keep my judgments and do them. And hallow my Sabbath, and there will be a sign between me and you 
that you uh, may know that I am the Lord your God. Nevertheless, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes. They were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But if they profane my Sabbath, then I said I will pour out my fury on them and will fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted out for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I brought them out of. I think, you know, if there's an application here for us on a personal note, he's concerned that the Gentiles aren't going to believe that there's a God worth living for and worshiping. And they're watching, the Gentiles are watching the Israelis to see if they're going to be obedient. I think it's true for us. I think people watch us. Uh, If they find out you're one of those people, you're one of those born again, holy roller types, when they find out about that, they're going to start watching. We're witnessing to people whether we're talking to them or not. Somebody want to say amen to that? Because people, people are watching how we handle situations in life. What are our, our priorities? You know, here it is. I remember BC that January 1 was stay out all night and go bar hopping. And, um, and most of the world, that's what they're going to be doing. That's going to be their thing on, on New Year's Eve. What we're going to have... But uh, again, it's a little different this year because New Year's falls on a Sunday. I I like to talk about what has just been, looking back, what the Lord has done in the last year. But more importantly, what are we to look forward to? Well, I got all kinds of material for Sunday. And uh, what Amir brought up is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, The stage is being set in a way like never before. And don't think this peace conference... Um, that's taking place in Paris is a, a minor thing. This is a major thing. I think it's going to cause Trump a lot of problems. He's got, uh, there I go. I'm getting sidetracked again on that. I better not go there because if I do, it'll be hard to find my way back. But again, just know that the unbelieving world watches me, watches you, how you handle life, how you treat your neighbor, take advantage of them, or do you really love them? And do they see... As Paul said, it's the love of Christ that causes me to do what I do. Again, the Christian programming down in Arizona was appalling to me. And any teenager would be sharp enough to know these guys are on the take. They have their happy, clappy messages with something that's going to be working out best for you. One of the the guys from Hillsong, the main pastor from Hillsong, which is about as bad as it could possibly get, um, his message was on... Uh, how to not be negative when you're negative. That was the t- title of his message. How not to be negative when you want to be negative. In other words, you can't let a negative thought come into your head. And anyway, that was, that was his whole spiel for about an hour, saying the same thing over and over again, how you cannot let any negative thoughts into your head. Well, please don't read Exodus chapter 20. <laughs> because everything that the Lord has to say to his people is to the point. And because if they don't follow his ways, that judgment is imminent. Our God is a just God. He's a holy God, but he's just. And if you get pulled over for speeding, well, you can try to talk your way out of it. Or he might be gracious because it's the holidays, I don't know. But if you're doing 55 and a 35 and and you get a ticket, you deserve it. That's called justice. And you can go to the court and say, well, I really didn't mean to do it. I won't do it again. He's not going to buy that. He's going to give you a $170 ticket because that's justice. Verse 24, because they had not executed my judgments and had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbath, 
and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. Therefore I gave them up uh, to stature that were not good in judgments in which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of their ritual gifts, and they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire. We're talking about literally offering your children up to being burned uh, in the fire. I'll make them desolate that they might know that I am the Lord. Now in verses 27 uh, through 28, we're dealing with in Cana. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is this your father who has blasphemed me by being unfaithful to me? For when I brought them into the land for which I lifted my hand in an oath to give them, and they saw all the high hills and all the thick trees, there they offered their sacrifice and provoked me with their offerings. There they also spent up their sweet aroma and poured out their drink offerings. Then I said to them, What is this high place to to which you go? So its name is called Babma to this day. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Are you defiling yourselves with the matters of your fathers and committing harlotry according to abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons to pass through the fire, you defile yourself with all your idols, even in the day. So shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? You're going to come to me? and say that I'm not fair when this is your track record. All 19 kings fell into these uh, false worships, and actually they preceded uh, the sinful nature of both the Canaanites and the Hittites. So I shall be inquired of you, O host of Israel, and I will say, the Lord God, I will not be inquired of you. The Lord says, I don't want to hear it. What you have in your mind shall never be when you say, we will be like the Gentiles like the families in other countries, serving wood and stone. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from among the peoples and gather you from the countries where you are scattered, with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face. Just I as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt. So I will plead my case with you, says the Lord. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the the bond of covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who trespass against me. I will bring them out of the country where they sojourned, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Again, this is a reoccurring phrase in, in It's repeated some 52 times. Then they shall know that I am the Lord is is a reaffirming phrase in in Ezekiel. As for you, O host of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols and hereafter. And if you will not obey me, but profane my holy name, no more with your gifts and your idols. For my holy mountain of the mountain of the height of Israel, says the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them to the land serve me. And there I will accept them, and I will require your offerings and the first fruits of your sacrifice together with all your holy things. I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will be hallowed before you in the Gentiles. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country which I lifted up my hand 
as an oath to give to my fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and your doings in which you were defiled, and you loathed yourself in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. Now these last verses here, um, verse 45 to 49, uh, is, is dealing with the south. And what I want to point out is, it says, Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the south, and preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land and the south. Well, you go to Israel, and once you hit Hebron and Beersheba, there is absolutely nothing down there to get to the Red Sea to a lot. It's barren. But at one time, it was flourishing with forests and um, the forests of the south. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will kindle fire in you, and it will devour every green tree and every dry tree in you. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, as all the face from the south to the north that has scorched by it. All flesh will see it. I, the Lord, have kindled it. It will not be quenched. And I said, Ah, Lord God, they say of me, does he not speak parables? This is, when we go through and teach the Bible like we do, I never really thought of this before, that um, I just always just thought that this, once you get past Hebron and Beersheba, it was just barren wilderness, and that's not the case at all. God is going to bring judgment. He's brought judgment, and uh, the result of that judgment is there to this day. I really want to do 21, because even if we only get to verse 27, 21 is one of those places where when the Lord says, search the scriptures, because they testify, they testify of me. He says, the volume of the book, including Ezekiel, is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's one of those places where he's talking about the judgment that's going to come and it's going to be swift. He's likening it to a drawn sword, a warrior. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, now set your face towards Jerusalem, preach against the holy places and prophesy against the land of Israel. And say to the land of Israel, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, and I will draw out my sword out of, out of its sheaf and cut off both righteous and wicked before you. Because I will cut off both the righteous and wicked from before you, my sword shall go out from its sheaf against all flesh from north to south. That all flesh may know that I am the Lord, have drawn my sword out of its sheath, and it shall not return any more. And then he tells... Ezekiel, he says, Sigh therefore, son of man, with a breaking heart, and sigh with a bitterness before their eyes. And it shall be when they say to you, Why are you sighing? Then you shall answer, Because of the news. When it comes, every heart will melt, all hands will be feeble, every spirit will faint, and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming and shall be brought to pass, says the Lord. If we don't have grief in our heart for our lost friends, knowing what we know, what's right around the corner after the rapture and what this world is going to be in for, I mean, sit down and read Revelation chapter 9 and the pit that's opened and the creatures that come out and the boogeyman that you always were afraid of when you were six years old under the bed, this one is real. It says they'll climb in through the windows and they'll, they won't kill men, but they'll torment them for five months 
The only other place in the Bible where there was a judgment were five months was the flood. It was exactly five months. And now we have this being repeated with a torment that men will want to die. They'll try to commit suicide and they won't die. You have friends and I have friends that are going to enter into that. And when we think about it seriously, we go, I'm going to do my best not to let that happen. And if it means trying to scare the hell out of them, then so be it, because that's where we don't want them to go. Good place for an amen. The more we understand about what Amir was talking about, that um, these things, they, they really shouldn't stifle us or cause us to stumble, because when Paul talks about the rapture of the church, he said God knows how to deliver his people from the wrath that's to come. He's not appointed us to wrath. He's talking about the rapture. So then he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, it's comfort for you and me. And yes, we're going to go through trials. And yes, you're going to wake up, some of you, tomorrow morning with my cold and go, why did I go to the Bible study? I got Pastor Dwight's cold. It's his fault. <laughs> but that's life. And the fact of the matter is that um, this is as bad as it's ever going to be for us here. Because once we're home, we're face-to-face with the Lord. At his right hand are treasures and pleasures forevermore. On the other hand, the main reason for the great tribulation is making people choose. People don't have to choose right now. They can blow off the gospel message. You can explain it to them. You can try to share the seriousness and the consequences if, if they're not saved and if they're not born again. But they can blow you off. They go, yeah, I'm going to do that someday. Someday I'm going to get saved and I'll give my life to Jesus. Someday I'm going to do that. Well, not during the tribulation. See, during the tribulation, uh, angels warn anybody that takes the mark of the beast. He gives you an ultimatum. Either you take my mark or my name or you don't live, period. That's the alternative. So you have one or two choices and you will be forced to choose. And if you choose not to take the mark, then you'll probably get martyred. Pick it up in verse 9. Son of man, prophesy, say this, says the Lord. A sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, sharpened and made a dreadful slaughter, um, polished to flesh like lightning. Should we then make myrrh? It's despised the scepter of my son, and as does all wood. Then he has given it to be polished, that it may be handled. The sword is sharpened and it is polished to give them into the hand of the slayer. Cry and wail, son of man, for I will be against my people, against the princes of Israel. Terror, including the sword, will be against my people. Therefore strike your thigh, because it's a testing. And what if the sword despises even the scepter shall be no more, says the Lord God. You therefore, son of man, prophesy, and strike your hands together. Clap them. The third time, let the sword do double damage. It is the sword that slays, the sword that slays the great men that enters the private chambers. I have set the point of the sword against all the gates that my heart may melt and many may uh, stumble. It is made bright and is grasped for slaughter. Thrust right, set your blade, thrust left, wherever your edge is ordered. I also will... Beat my fists together, and I will cause my fury to, to rest. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, appoint for yourself two ways for the sword, for the king of Babylon to go. Both of them shall go from the same land. Make a sign and put it at the head of the road to the city. Point a road for the sword to go to Rabbah, to the Ammonites, and to Judah, and to fortify Jerusalem. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the roads, at the fork of the two roads, to use definition. He shakes the arrows, he consults the images, he looks at the liver. So here's, here's Nebuchadnezzar. He comes to a fork in the road, and he does all these chant, enchantations to determine if he's going to the right or to the left. And um, in his right hand is a divination for Jerusalem to set up a battering ram, to call for slaughter, to lift up the voice with shout, to gather battering rams against the gates, to heap up siege mounds and to build a wall. And it will be to them like a false divination in the eyes of those who have sworn oaths with them. But he will uh, bring their iniquity to remembrance that they may be taken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have made your iniquity to be remembered and that your transgressions are uncovered so that your doing your sins appear, because you have come to no remembrance, you shall be taken in hand. Now to you, O profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end. For thus says the Lord, and this is... um, probably one of the, the firmest prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ in the entire Bible, these verses right here. He says, remove the turban or the crown and take it off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the lowly and abase the exalted. Overthrow, overthrow. I will make it overthrow and it shall be no longer. What he's referring to here is the last king who's going to live. And he's going to overthrow, and there's going to be no more kings in Israel. After Babylon, when they came back, they had um, guys like Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, and, um, but none from the throne of David. Now this next verse. Overthrow, overthrow, and I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer, notice, until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. He's talking about the king of kings, and when he comes, he's going to be the, the king that was after Zedekiah. There hasn't been a king of Israel that has been of the lineage. When Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he says, take it away from him, and don't give it back to him. And I'm not going to give it to anyone until he comes, and I will give it to him. And he is a reference, of course, to the Lord himself. So... Here we have these two verses, uh, prophetic, speaking about the coming of the Lord. I think we can finish out 21. 21. And you, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord concerning the Ammonites. So we switch gears. Now we're dealing with the Ammonites. And concerning their reproach and say, a sword, a sword is drawn, polished for slaughter, for consuming, for flashing. While they see vain visions for you, while they divine a lie for you, to bring you on the necks of the wicked, the slain, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end. So this is a a judgment being pronounced now upon the Ammonites. Uh, The verses before were to primarily Jerusalem. 
Return it to a sheath, and I will judge you in a place where you were created, in the land of your nativity. I will pour out my indignation on you. I will blow against you with the fire of my wrath and deliver you into the hands of brutal men who are skillful to destroy. You will be fuel for their fire. Your blood shall be in the midst of the land, and you shall not be remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken it. There are no Ammonites today. Go ahead, try to find one. They, they came to an end. There are no Ammonites, there are no Hittites. All these people are gone, except one group. And it's what's making the news right now, where the entire world is once again trying to get rid of the Jewish people. But like Amir said, no matter what happens, it's, it's, it's like, um, I'll close with this thought. It's like watching the final minute of uh, the Packer game. And I, I didn't get to see it because we didn't have it down there. But I already knew the score. But then I went online and I typed in Packer Highlights. And when it came up, I got to see 10 minutes of the entire game. But it was sort of anticlimactic because I knew the score was already over. It was exciting, but I already knew who won. In the same way, the world is going to go through a lot. And um, God is just and he's going to bring judgment. If God, like Billy Graham said, if God doesn't bring judgment to the United States of America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Uh, he's just, and he will bring his judgment. So I'm kind of amazed that I made it through 20 and 21. <laughs> so let's stand. Well, you guys can pray for me for Sunday because there's a lot going on. We like to begin our, our new year by bringing updates of current events, and we have, got, we have some major ones taking place right now. So, Lord, we thank you for your word and um, your character that's revealed, every aspect of it, always willing to show mercy and grace, but not without repentance. And here we clearly see in these two chapters, as these elders came and inquired, um, the Lord says, I don't hear you because you guys refuse to repent of your sin. You're continuing in them. And um, thank you, Lord, that your nature is a just one and that uh, you raise up the most unlikely of instruments to do your work, in this case, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So, Lord, as we sort of get back in the saddle with Ezekiel, um, we pray as we end out this year that as we see these things happening, as it tells us in Hebrew, uh, to exhort one another, to stir up our love and our fellowship, and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as we see the day approaching. And Lord, we sure see the day approaching. So we we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for raising up men like Amir, who is extremely sharp and articulate and has a passion uh, for his people and for the lost. So bless your people as we go out tonight, those here, those watching live stream. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.